0: Live from the 6th and Peabody Studio and across the OutKick Network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton and Chad Withrow. Merry Christmas, happy holidays. Final
1: hour of the week going into the Christmas weekend, OutKick 360, where over the next hour we will dive into the teams with playoffs on the line this week as we have games both tomorrow, the majority of the games tomorrow. And on Christmas Day, had the game last night with Jacksonville. Continues their winning ways. The Jets in the opposite direction. and Same goes for Zach Wilson, who Chad and I agree, we're not going to see him with the Jets again. It doesn't feel that way. Um, they've got to make a move because I think he's lost the locker room. That was a pitiful performance. and By everyone involved. Yes, and it was a... It was a game where you felt like with the the conditions and what was on the line for New York that they would have some semblance of life, and that didn't happen until Wilson came out of the game. That was what was glaring about the turn of events. It's not like they put up a ton of points, but they absolutely played harder for a fourth-string practice squad quarterback than they did the former number two overall pick.
2: Yeah, it's, it's done. It's over with Zach Wilson. It's clear that he doesn't have the respect of that locker room. I think Robert Sala's handled it as well as you can for that situation with the number two overall pick. But this is guy is not going to be starting for the Jets. And now the question becomes, what do the Jets do this offseason at quarterback? Mike White, you could re-sign, not under contract going into next year. You got the third string, fourth string guy Yep, that's now starting, possibly, probably going to start because Wilson's not – Moving forward in Streveler, terrible situation at quarterback, but Hutton, you brought up earlier, not a terrible situation across the roster. They've just got to figure so. out now yeah. how to move on from Zach Wilson, the number two overall pick.
1: They've got to have a solution there. And Robert Sala's got to start. They got off to a nice start, made the quarterback change, despite Wilson, after he was able to play to begin the season, he missed what the first four games. After he was able to play, I think he was 5-2 and two when they benched him. Because they felt like that's their path to the playoffs with Mike White over him. White's hurt, so they go back to Wilson. And at this point, after you've benched him for Strebler, I don't know how you do anything but keep him on the sideline. Fiftieth uh, anniversary of the Immaculate Reception, and Chad, the you know the passing of uh, the uh, Franco Harris passing away earlier this week, and everything that was planned where they were going to retire his jersey in Pittsburgh. You've got the fiftieth anniversary where you have the Raiders on the road in Pittsburgh with everything surrounding the play and and Franco and the, the way we can go down memory lane with him there, the build up to this all week in the city and not being able to do that because this is now more of a memorial service in many ways. At least that's how I view how this game will be covered. I don't know if you go all in on that with me or not, but this is this is now, to me, something I I didn't want to, and I'm not hoping that this happens, but I can't wait to see some of the tributes and the overall thoughts and analysis of this guy's career and what he meant to the city, and I think the Steelers will do a great job with it.
2: So Saturday night, it's the the night game on Saturday, mm-hmm. on Christmas Eve. Um, how much of it are we going to see? It would be my question because... I think most of it's going to be just for that Pittsburgh crowd. There's not much you can do at a halftime of an NFL game. Right. But
1: I mean it's an NFL Network game. And they've they, yeah. they've been pumping up that, you know, a Football Life.
2: I'm more interested in seeing a Football Life and what NFL Network and others can do for tributes to this this play and this anniversary than I am what's going to happen in the game. I just think you're limited time-wise in what you can do to really blow it up the way it should be. Uh, It's just it's so unfortunate with the timing of all this. That Franco Harris was going to be obviously the biggest part of this 50 year anniversary celebration, and now that's not going to happen. And you had
1: Myron Cope, uh, with who coined this, the Immaculate Reception, uh, the longtime uh, Steelers broadcaster, sportscaster, and you know that while the Steelers didn't win the Super Bowl that year, it was uh, Franco Harris's rookie season. It did trigger that long run of success where they won four Super Bowls he with him he was a Super Bowl MVP in one of those games uh just a tremendous career even a better guy off the field every time we had the the pleasure of chatting with him whether that's at a Super Bowl or in Canton for the Pro Football Hall of Fame and you know the play is always going to come up here is Franco Harris discussing the Immaculate Reception
0: Good going, buddy. What
1: what happened
2: on that play, Franco? Uh, right place, at the right time. <laughs> a little bit of luck, you know.
0: I a little bit of lucky catching the ball. What's uh what was your uh part in that play? Where were you actually supposed to have been? Well, I was uh, supposed to be in there blocking. <laughs> I
2: remember to play, right? But Terry started to scramble a little bit, so I went out thinking maybe I could get it open. He could throw it to me, and he threw it downfield, and uh, I saw Frenchie. I think it was Jack Tatum. Yeah. Go up for it, and it bounced bounced up and as i said before the right place the right time you you, uh, you outrun that guy Not into it. the end zone does ever look like you feel he had a shot at you uh i thought at one point he did but i kind of stuck my arm out trying to hold him off you know uh believe me at, at that point you know i don't think anything could have stopped me from going It's
1: <laughs> franco harris immediately following the game uh there with uh, the steelers radio network chad
2: the was that minor cope with him yes I just love the, the voice. You know, the old, the old school voice in interview. Where are you supposed to be on that play? <laughs> Get a little bit of that with the interview he style. He one love of the it. best. Uh, look, top five, at, at minimum,
1: it's a top five play. I, I would put it number one all time. Uh, it's right there with the catch, Dwight Clark, which capped off what was a 14-play drive for the 49ers. And the the thing that I like, the Immaculate Reception, you have to watch. The catch can be a poster in your room, right? Like just that that single photo that you see from the end zone makes that play even more iconic.
2: And I think they're both so iconic in large part because it kicked off a dynasty. Yes. That was the start of the Steelers dynasty. And then, you know, that was kind of the start of the, the 80s. Yeah, you're right. Into the 90s. The birth of the 49ers. It was 81. A- so that was the start of their dynasty. So I, I just, it's so much more impactful uh, for that reason, because it helped launch, you know, two of the greatest franchises in NFL history yep.
1: into their prime, and that's what keeps the other plays that come to mind outside of the top two for me. Music City Miracle, right? Mm-hmm. Did not launch a dynasty based on that play. Launched a a, a great run for the Titans, but. And it was the first season when they opened the stadium here. And they were unbeaten at the stadium at the time. Uh, tremendous play. It's a top five play. I would also put the, the Tyree helmet catch in my top five. And then from there, it's probably the Malcolm Butler interception that won the Super Bowl for the Patriots. Um, I don't know if you would put that in your top five, Chad. But to me, there's a clear
2: line of separation from those three
1: to the top two.
2: It's so hard to say, Hutton, because the line of separation to me are the plays I remember before I was alive. Yeah, Um, you know, I I think about the ice bowl and Bart Starr, you know, sneaking it into the end zone Mm. uh, to win the game. Like those are the, I think for everyone, like if it happened before you were alive and it's imprinted in your on your brain in your memory, those are the most important plays in name the sports history. Same goes for Immaculate Reception. I wasn't alive yet. Uh, The Dwight Clark catch wasn't quite alive, almost, when that happened, but not quite. Those are the things that you're going to remember. For kids, 30, 40 years from now, it may be the Malcolm Butler, you know, interception. It's just hard for me to think about plays in the last, you know, 5, 10, 15 years even that reach that level of icon, like we saw with the Immaculate Reception. It's just, it's different. I, I don't... It's hard to quantify, but it's very different. There's a a folklore to it, right? Yes. It's kind of
1: poetic in a way when you see it, the throwbacks. And Franco Harris, certainly that.
2: But we've seen that start. Any montage, NFL films, production, you're going to see the eyes of Franco Harris as he goes down to get that ball before it hits the turf at Three Rivers and then picks it up and the eyes get bigger as he's running down the sideline. For the touchdown, it's what we're always going to remember.
1: Again, the 50th anniversary and all the tributes you can catch tomorrow night as the Steelers host the Raiders. Um, Plenty of games to discuss now with Jeff Clark of Outkick.com. Outkick.com slash bet is where you can go to get the greatest info on all of the lines and all of the games from all of the top leagues through DraftKings. Jeff joins us now. Jeff, uh, happy holidays. Hope things are well.
0: What's up, fellas? Thanks for having me back. Excited to be talking football with you. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, Your top, your what's your lock of the weekend from the NFL?
0: My favorite look this weekend is going to be the uh, the Chicago Bears plus eight and a half. Um, This is my personal opinion, but I, I I view the Bills as more of a finesse team and. I think the weather conditions favor the Chicago Bears' style more so than the Buffalo Bills. Also, road favorites of eight or more this season are 0 and 8 against the spread, and they have a minus 9.9 ATS differential in those spots. They're only five and three straight up with a plus 1.1 margin of victory. So these home, these big home dogs are keeping the games close with these big road favorites and based on the styles of these two teams, I think the bears are going to come within the number. Um, Chicago is the best running team in the league and the Buffalo bills are the worst tackling team in the league. So give me the bears plus the points. I think they're going to get the ground game working here. So that's probably my favorite look of the week.
2: And, And I know that you also like Cincinnati. And after watching the end of that Raiders Patriots game, and that huge mental gaffe. Uh, I also like Cincinnati and not anything to do with the Patriots right now. Why the Bengals, though, minus three, Jeff?
0: Well, I'm more or less fading Mac Jones. Uh, Cincinnati, or Joe Burrow, excuse me, gets the praise he deserves. He's an MVP candidate. I think he's top five in the MVP odds according to Draft DraftKings. But I think what gets overlooked in the Cincinnati team is really how strong their defense is. Their defense is getting healthier coming into this matchup. Trey Hendrickson, who broke his wrist two weeks ago, was already practicing and ready to go. They're going to get an elite slot cornerback. Uh, Mike Hilton back, who was injured a couple weeks ago as well. Mac Jones has the second worst QBR in the league. He doesn't have the benefit of a good offensive scheme to help him out. And the New England pass catchers are pretty terrible as well. Uh, it's, and when you dig into the numbers in Mac Jones, it's actually kind of crazy. He completed, I think, twelve of thirty-one passes last week against a Las Vegas Raiders team that's dead last in opponent quarterback rating. So if he can't if he can't move the ball and, and have success against the Raiders defense, I think he's going to get crushed by the Cincinnati offense. And I trust Joe Burrow enough to cover the three or three and a half point line against the in New England.
1: Jeff Clark with us, outkick.com slash bet and DraftKings for all of the info he's giving us here. You like the Titans minus the points tomorrow against the Texans. This is a line that opened up on Sunday, seven. The, the, Houston was getting seven. Now it's down to three. The Titans are extremely banged up. They're putting even more players on injured reserve today. Um, this is a Titans team that's going in the opposite direction. Houston, meanwhile, Jeff, has played well over the last two weeks albeit losses, what makes you want to back the Titans at
0: home tomorrow? Well, I just have too much respect and appreciation for Mike Vrabel. He's been pretty much the most profitable coach for me personally over the past few years, and I'm going to blindly bet him in this spot. Um, I took – I laid three and a half in the first Texans-Titans game earlier this season against Houston – or in Houston, excuse me – Uh, Malik Willis also started that game. He did really nothing um, in that game, but they just fed Derrick Henry the ball, and Derrick Henry trampled the Texans like he always does. His last four games, he's averaging 223 yards per game, and he's got nine touchdowns in those games. Um, With such a glaring weakness that the Houston Texans have in stopping the run, I think Mike Vrabel is going to figure it out and get – uh, Tennessee across the finish line and then at least in this game um, I also like th- this line is saying that the Houston Texans who are the worst team in the league by straight up record and all the efficiency metrics are only slightly worse than the Tennessee Titans I know the Titans injury report is ugly it's it's frankly a scary team to back right now but I just I just refuse to believe that the, that the Titans aren't at least four to five points better than the Houston Texans, even with all their injuries. But this is this is one that I want to hear your guys' feedback on because I know you guys are locked into this team and you're, and you're down there in Nashville. What do you think of that look? We don't love it.
2: <laughs> we don't love it with the Titans' <laughs> injuries. I mean, look, they, they've lost yeah. four in a row, but uh, Malik Willis has not looked good. It would not shock me if the Titans won and Henry had a huge day. But um, I like the money line with the Texans a little bit more. Yeah. I they, don't know you do as well. It's
1: been weird, Jeff. They haven't been feeding Henry the football enough. Yeah. You know, they, it, it's odd. And now they've got to now with, with Malik Willis starting because Tannehill's done. Um, look, I, I'm i with you on Vrabel, but this team is just so bad. I mean, they were bad prior to this string of injuries again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, good, not great. And I mean, they, they lost to Houston last year. We've seen Houston play well against yep. them, despite Henry going off in some cases. Um, and this was only a seven point game earlier this year. So I'm not, and, and that was also a game where Henry went off. So I, 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 understand your reasoning for why you back Henry and Vrabel, but this is just a team that's going in the opposite direction. And I, I think they lose straight up. I, I took the money line earlier in the week, just based on the the amount of points that was given to start on Sunday.
0: Jay, hey, I can't fault you. I hear you. I took Houston last year against the Texans and I sprinkle on the money line. So, um, you know, these divisional matchups are tough. I hear you on that one, but I'm just going to trust Vrabel in the spot and, what's turned into an absolute must-win for the Titans, yes. right?
2: Yes. Jeff, full disclosure, I've not watched a lot of NBA so far this season. It's normally yeah. right around Christmas weekend that I'll, I'll start tuning in a little bit. You like the Bucks and the Grizzlies over the weekend. Normally, this is the you know uh, the NBA's sort of high, holy day of the start of the season in ratings, and not necessarily the case now with NFL going on this weekend, but you've got a couple of NBA games you've circled.
0: Yeah, now that the NFL is moving in on Christmas, it is no longer the NBA's uh, showcase day of the year. I can yep. tell you that. The NBA, they got a little lucky this year because pretty much all the all the football games turned out to be kind of crappy. Uh, aside from the Packers and Dolphins, I like the Dolphins in that one. But going back to the NBA, I'm going to take the Bucs. I think they're plus five right now visiting Boston. Boston this month has the worst offensive rating in the league. Jalen Brown's been dinged up, or excuse me, Jason Tatum's been dinged up. Marcus Smart's been dinged up. They're just getting back. Their defensive anchor, Robert Williams, but he's not even starting. So I think I think Boston's been getting the opponents' best shots because, you know, they're the Eastern Conference champion or defending Eastern Conference champion and just just blowed through right, right blowed right through the NBA uh through the first like month or so of the season. But in my opinion, the Bucks are the better team when all things are equal. Now, Middleton might not play, but Smart might not play. So whether you want to include both of them or remove both of them, I think as the rosters are presently constituted, the Bucks are the better team. Um, they have a better net rating currently, and they're trending in a better direction. So I think we're catching Boston a little weak uh obviously it's a revenge spot for the Bucks, so i'm going to take the points and, and, and sprinkle on the money line with the bucks here
1: you can join us uh through DraftKings outkick.com slash bet uh, you can also read and catch all of jeff's work there as well at outkick.com jeff thanks so much man happy holidays to you and uh, we'll catch up soon
0: thank you so much guys merry christmas thanks yeah, jeff merry christmas. merry
1: christmas may they all be winners also. yes all of those be yes. winners. thank right. you jeff Jeff Clark has been our guest there. And again, outkick.com slash bet is where you can join us for all of that info and all of the the parlays, the lines, and so much more. Coming up, playoffs on the line. And it's, it's an interesting schedule if you look at some of the matchups now. And there are glaring holes that have not been there recently as far as the stars are concerned in the nfl postseason we'll we'll discuss brady rogers and do we even care that they may not be playing in january that's next and i'll kick 360.
3: what's up everyone it's nick wright and i got something exciting to talk to you about today angie
1: Tampa Bay's offense has been a disaster compared to, well, disaster period, but compared to the first two years for for Brady just, and Tampa. Just disaster. This has been really, really bad. Outkick sixty rolls on. They, right now, don't control their path to the postseason because Carolina, by just simply winning, will win the division. As crazy as that sounds. And we wouldn't see Tom Brady in the postseason. And Aaron Rodgers right now, his, the, the Packers have six wins, and they have playoff opportunities. Doesn't feel like that's—they need some things to fall in favor, and they've got to continue winning. They've won, what, two straight um, and have played well, but not throughout the season. Chad, I haven't even thought about until last night I was looking at some playoff scenarios. I don't think it's that big of a deal right now that Brady or Rodgers would not be in the NFL playoffs. And a year ago, I would have said this is an, an awful situation. I don't think the playoffs necessarily need those two stars. I realize the ratings would certainly factor in uh, to the discussion here, and they can. I, I'm leaning more towards I want to see fresh blood, and I think we've, we've got it with some of the young up-and-coming stars at quarterback. Paired with the top two guys, those guys being Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, you have the uh, Jalen Hurts, who's not—he's got a sprained shoulder. It could have been a lot worse. That's great news. Joe Burrow trying to run it back to get his team back to the AFC Championship and onto the Super Bowl in in Glendale, and uh, some some other fun scenarios where Trevor Lawrence could be in the postseason for the first time. The Brady Rodgers absence. I don't think is going to bug me whenever the playoffs kick off. If in fact neither guy is in,
2: you know it's bowl season when my sound comes on because I tried to check out the score of Louisiana and Houston. Oh, how's that going? <laughs> in the uh, what bowl is this that's happening? This is the Independence Bowl. It oh. is sixteen to thirteen. Louisiana wow. seven seventeen left in the third, but Houston just got a big fourth and two. Uh, they were down sixteen to six. They're trying to take the lead on this drive. Did you driving like driving in Louisiana earlier? territory? But that say, was a really quick reaction by me, though, to get you, it down quickly. Did you live, live bet them earlier, Houston down 13? Yes, I did. Okay. Yes, I did. Let's go. Let's go. Uh, go kooks. Go kooks. Hutton, I don't – I gave up on both Brady and Aaron Rodgers so long ago. Not Brady from – I, I still believe they're going to win that division. They're not doing anything in the playoffs. And that offense is bad. So I'm not concerned about him being in the playoffs. I think Aaron Rodgers is capable of more right now than what we've seen, and he's capable of more than Tom Brady at this point. But they're not – I mean, it's going to take so many things for them to get in. I say all this to say to your question, it's a good one, about what we would have said a year ago to now to both those guys not being in the playoffs. I just made my peace with neither one of them being a factor this year a long time ago that it's not going to affect my enjoyment of watching other quarterbacks and new blood in the playoffs because – I gave up on it a while back. So the, the Packers playoff chances,
1: they, they need four teams to win this weekend as well as they have to continue to win. They need the 49ers to win um, as the 49ers host Washington. That's a major factor in, the, in their playoff hopes uh, because of the Commanders at 7, 6, and 1, they're in that final playoff spot. So they need more losses for the seventh seed. The Chiefs are taking on Seattle. They need the Chiefs to knock off Seattle for obvious reasons. Seattle's right there. Seattle's a game ahead of Green Bay in the standings currently. The Vikings. Uh, Green Bay has to root for Minnesota. And you've got a situation where the Vikings are playing the Giants. The Giants also have plenty to play for, for wild card spots. And then the Carolina Panthers, they're facing Detroit. Detroit. And Detroit at 7-7, seven and seven, they also need to continue to lose. They're not doing that currently. And Green Bay obviously has to start rattling off some wins here. They, they need to win out to have a shot at this because I don't think you're looking at a a, a three-pack there um, or a four-pack, excuse me, of teams with the Commanders, the Giants, uh, the Lions, and who else did I throw in there? Oh, the, the uh, Seattle Seahawks. I don't think those four teams... All of them are just gonna lose out here. So it's it's a slim chance for Green Bay. Of course, Tampa, Tampa's got the head to head coming up. They they do have another game with the Panthers. So you've we, we have a win and end scenario for them, but it's uh it's a bad situation for both of those quarterbacks. I I feel like both guys are playing next year. I don't think Brady or Rogers will be playing for Tampa or Green Bay. And yes, I lost a hundred dollar bet early this year based on that. I just I I think both of them want to continue to play. They just don't like the surroundings that they're in. And current like I don't think Green Bay wants Rodgers there right now. That's the other thing. And I'm talking about the team. Yeah. The locker room.
2: Is there a team that you're really rooting for to make it in the bottom of the playoffs? To me it's the Detroit. Detroit,
1: yeah. Detroit. And I mean I want Trevor Lawrence to be successful. Is that odd? Like, I, I, I really like him as a QB. And I, I, he was thrown into a situation where the number one overall picks Jacksonville. He was the hands-down favorite to be the number one overall pick for two years before he was even draft eligible. And I think he has all the makings of a guy who can go on a run similar to Burrow. I would follow Burrow before I would follow Trevor Lawrence as far as leadership qualities are concerned. Like, one guy just has that vibe... Lawrence never given me that vibe, but man, is he talented. And I, I want to see them get some things right because they've been bad for so long. So, um, not a Houston lacks leadership from the, the ownership down Indianapolis. I mean, they're more than a quarterback away. They've got to find out what their future is head coaching wise. And how they're going to structure their drafts moving forward and the titans are headed to a rebuild so i look at jacksonville as a playoff contender for the next couple of seasons based on all that but they could be uh, they could i mean they could get in as the seven seed and legitimately go on a, a couple a couple win run i don't think they're yeah. like afc championship i, I quality. understand
2: the wanting trevor lawrence to to do well um I don't care about Jacksonville being in. I do want to see the city of Detroit get that playoff yeah, spot well, so that's, with yes, that you're group. Right. So I, I'm with you on that. It's,
1: it, to me, the Jacksonville that's more about the, the player. Detroit's more about the city, right? The, the franchise yes. itself.
2: Hutton, we got to talk about this Jenna Lane story. Yes. Um, this is odd, okay, for a number of reasons. So Jenna Lane, reporter for ESPN, she covers the Bucks. So, the Bucs had a very bad day against Cincinnati. Giovanni Bernard had a very bad play on a fake punt where apparently he was the only one who didn't know the fake punt was on. Snapped to him, bad play. So, Jen Elaine and another reporter approached Bernard in the locker room to ask about it, and he kept walking away. And then, when you know, he said, I need to go get to my family, they're waiting on me, and they kept hounding him for an answer. And she shouted out something like, you've been injured all year. We haven't had a chance to talk to you. Because he kept saying, well, you did not want to talk to me all year. And then did that. So look, she posts the video as sort of a, look at this. This is what we have to deal with type thing, right? This this is us doing our job and we have to deal with. It backfired. As any time a reporter who covers an individual team posts a video making a player on that team Attempting to make them look bad, here's a word to the wise. It's always going to backfire. If your sole goal is to get public approval from your fan base, when you go after the team that you cover, the fans hate it. So do one of two things. Don't do it and don't post a video to try to make someone, to show, show someone up when all it does is make you look bad to the mm-hmm. fan base. Or two, don't give a you-know-what about it. And post it anyways and not apologize for it. That's the route. Those are the two routes you could take in this whole thing. So Jenna Lane, the reporter for ESPN, post it, and then it backfires. She, they looked a little bit entitled. They sound that way. The tone of it's not great. But I also understand the job she's trying to do and other reporters. And if someone refuses to really answer questions about a pivotal play, And they're walking away, and granted, they're saying, i got to go to my family. Okay, great. But they haven't been made available all year because of an injury or whatever. I understand her side of this also. But, again, when you're trying to appease a fan base, fans, no surprise, will take the side of their team, their players, their coaches, nine times out of ten. So Jenna Lane, this backfires. She waits a few days. She issues this apology on Instagram. Get ready for this. It's long. Yes. Quote, Didn't want to post something on here until, one, I apologized to Gio Bernard first, personally telling him I am, in all caps, sorry, which I did. And two, until I fully understood the missteps I took in postgame, as I didn't want this to be some hollow apology lacking sincerity. Obviously, I afforded myself a period of grace that Giovanni didn't get to have when asking him to talk postgame. He's a better person than me. For many reasons. The first misstep was posting a video of our interaction with Giovanni, our being myself and two other reporters, she puts in parentheses. My intention wasn't to make it some gotcha moment, but to illustrate how tense things can get in the locker room when a team isn't meeting its expectations. In full transparency, I now see that there was no benefit to doing it. It captured him in a vulnerable moment. The optics of it are all wrong, and it didn't tell the whole story. The second misstep, now we're getting to the the second part, my very defensive comments after. My intent was that these athletes didn't get to where they are with hand-holding. They're some of the toughest people on the planet, and accountability is part of their daily lives. I realized that it came across as cruel and insensitive. In no way was I trying to weaponize his injury against him either by pointing it out. I was reminding him of us not being able to talk because the team doesn't make injured players available. The most difficult thing about this has been that in the moment, I became what I swore I would never be, lacking empathy. And that was something that was very much needed here. I've always wanted nothing more than to humanize the people I cover. It's literally why I do this. And in that moment, I lost touch of it. I was too caught up in trying to get the full story and meeting deadlines and my own stuff. I didn't take into consideration what, in all caps, he needed from me in that moment. So clearly I have some growing to do, end quote. This, if you looked in the Webster's Dictionary of ESPN forced apologies, this Jenna Lane apology would pop up. This is so dramatic and oh, so over the top of something that is so minuscule. Gio Bernard was being a little bit of a weakling, quite frankly, trying to walk away from the questions. He was being a little bit prickly about answering in that moment. Jenna Lane was being slightly entitled in pestering him about it and not just letting him walk away after the first question and then later posting something snide about him, not wanting to answer questions about it. That's how she should have handled it. Hutton, this is so over the top, it's ridiculous. This is also...
1: So, while it's an ESPN forced apology feel, this is about the locker room that she's covering more than it is her and Giovanni Bernard. Because Carlton Davis um, earlier this week was asked in a—I call it a gang up, but a gathering of uh, reporters around a player's locker—was asked something by her about something completely having nothing to do with this, and Carlton Davis refused to answer the question and immediately discussed the professionalism or lack thereof with Giovanni Bernard. So, to me, that statement that apology is more about her making sure that she's continuing to be in the favor of the players in terms of uh access uh, uh information on or off the record quite frankly than it is making sure that uh it, she she has empathy for giovanni bernard's needs in all caps it, it's there is an entitlement to it which is dumb Like I I don't, if some, if a player doesn't want to talk. Then don't force it. it, Yes. Um, I understand though, like the availability and whenever the the team's injury policy, there's zero access until he's available to talk. And there are plenty of players where they'll sit around and make sure they're available for media whenever everything's great. And as soon as things go awry, they tuck tail and they act like they got to go work out. Because they missed their morning session. During, and they've got to do it right now during the media session in the locker room. I've seen that for years throughout NFL locker rooms. There are front runners galore. And this is a, a response This probably has happened before. Not necessarily with Bernard, but others. Uh, albeit, she's been covering a winning team. And... Right now they're they're not doing that in Tampa. I think all this plays a factor in it. She's also the reporter that asked earlier this year um about the the about Todd Bowles, Todd being, Bowles yeah. and, and the importance of emphasizing African American head coaches, which Bowles completely took and, and went the opposite direction by saying, like, I got this job because I'm good at what I do, not because of the color of my skin. And I'm paraphrasing that, but that's where he took it. And good and, for him. And guess what? There's no follow up questions on that. Yeah, and, and, and no she, one no one wanted to ask follow up questions based on that answer. Well,
2: she also was very had a had a lot of attitude about his answer and kept following up, wanting she was following up, wanting to get the quote she wanted for ESPN. Right, but there's that no, she wasn't getting and she was almost irritated by it. Yeah. And then it became a, a you know a white woman. Trying to tell a black man how to talk about being a black head coach in the NFL, which was very odd.
1: But it wasn't the story that they wanted it to be.
2: That's what I'm saying. Yeah. She got mad because she's trying to get a quote for a story she wants to write for ESPN that I'm sure her editors are telling her to get, Uh, and he's not playing ball, and it became a, well, this is why it's important, and almost her spoon-feeding info, will you now talk about it so I can write about it? So... But also, uh, but I, I agree.
1: But uh, that, there's that a way. The social media response is one thing. The, uh, her biggest critics are in that locker room.
2: Yes, I that's get, why I she get apologized. That, but was this necessary? No, no. I mean, I was not in touch with what he, in all caps, needed from me. No, no I mean, it's he not. is a grown man with a family that's walking out. What what does he need from you? You are some reporter, both one of a bunch that talk to him every day. This is so both are self- doing their job
1: important. Or should be.
2: But the whole apology, you can apologize to him and say, hey, I went over the top. I'm sorry. Go to Carlton Davis, say the same thing. Mm-hmm. I get it. I, I've learned from my way. And then issue a short. Hey, I was trying to illustrate what it's like daily as a reporter, trying to get a story. I went too far. I should have let him walk and go see his family. End of story. When you talk about there's a lot of work I need to do, I mean, come on. What he needed in the moment, it's just so dramatic. I will also
1: say we are headed for more of this from the players. The the players as well are more entitled than ever of course. when it comes to speaking. Like
2: but also, well, like even you, within the last she's, made, she's years. turned herself oh. into a weak mark. No, I in that locker room by going that far over the top. But I, I have seen she could have so shown a little bit more strength with humility in that apology, oh, of and been better off for it with every no, player, every media relations person with that team, every coach. The apology is way over the
1: top and unnecessary. But I, I'm telling you, there will be more of this because of the era we're in now, where the the portal. If you don't like something, you're out. You get your way in college. And it's the same way, quite frankly, with PR staffs across the NFL that make sure that the coddling continues from the NFL level, especially with the Stars. And, I I mean, I've seen many blowups, many blowups inside the Titans locker room between players and media members. Many boycotts. Pac-Man Jones comes to mind. You know what we didn't do as a media group ever is apologize for asking Pac-Man Jones tough questions about what happened at the strip club in Las Vegas, you know, even though he hated us. Um, So many more that Koharski and Wyatt and others locally got into. There's no apology with that. Um, And in this case, it's about a play on the field that the guy didn't want to answer. There will be more of these situations where the apology is totally unnecessary, but it comes down to whether or not you're going to actually get a straight answer. And I commend those that don't apologize for asking questions that are totally fair and and honest in the moment, and especially when a guy is not wanting to answer because things aren't going so well. When things are great, plenty of guys are available to chat about it.
2: Very, very well said. And I think she was doing her job. I think she came across in not so friendly of a way. I don't really think she has much to apologize for, but if that locker room hates her now for it, then I understand the apology because you have to work with them. But yeah. there's personal apology you can make. There's a quick statement you can put out on Instagram or Twitter or whatever. Don't go to these links because I think that she weakened herself within that locker room well, what happened, by going this far.
1: The story was Giovanni Bernard. And also, what happened and, and is and she was probably told
2: the, to apologize. It, but the, the story felt, was on Bernard. Felt dinged and, by it.
1: She became the story based on the backlash. But I think the biggest critics were in the locker room, not out of it, not on Twitter, not with the fan base.
2: And those those critics in the locker room, quite frankly, can get a little tougher too. Sure, sure.
1: Uh, but, you know, it's not
2: like... But again, I get it. Like I, what you're saying, I, I 100% agree with, and I'm fine with her apologizing to them and then doing something short if you want to and let it go away. But this whole thing about... I need to work on myself. He's a better person than me, right? Man, come on,
1: right? But like, it, the 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 backlash from fans normally comes with the stars, you know. This wasn't Leonard Fournette. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So I think it's more internal, which makes it even more just dumb to apologize to that to that level. Uh, coming up, thoughts on the weekend. We need to cheers to the Christmas weekend and then the holiday season and. Um, What we think the storyline will be Tuesday when we're back for Outkick 360. More coming on the Outkick Network. Merry Christmas, happy holidays from all of us at OutKick. OutKick 360 rolls on, Hutton and Withrow with you. Uh, Chad, the storyline that we are talking about on Tuesday when we return, we'll get to that in a moment. There's a big storyline, and we may be talking about this on Tuesday as well. Uh, Another NFL employee has been suspended due to gambling on sports. It's not even on football. Uh, Miles Austin, he's been suspended as uh, a coach. He's out, the Jets wide receivers coach. Suspended for violating the NFL's gambling policy. And within the story, and I'm reading this from Florio at Pro Football Talk, he's suspended for betting on sports that are not football related.
2: This is... Why is that a policy?
1: Who cares? Who cares? Gambling uh, is just prohibited by the team and the league.
2: Remember when uh, Rick Neuheisel, I think it was, got suspended or fired for having a March Madness pool when he was a college football coach? Yes. That's dumb.
1: That, but, uh, I, I it, just don't – who cares? And, and now the league is profiting millions off of this. So it, Florio leads says, do as I say, not as I profit. That's his lead to the story. So the, the, the attorney for Miles Austin, this is... Uh, I'm just reading this straight from the, from the story. Miles did not wager on any NFL game in violation of the gambling policy for NFL personnel. He's been fully cooperative with the NFL's investigation. He's appealing the suspension. Keep in mind when this is being reported, when the NFL is acknowledging and verifying that this is going on. Friday at 5.53 p.m. Eastern, right before Christmas... No one's... They're releasing this now on a news dump so that no one will take off and run with it across the sports world landscape uh, where most of the big media companies are recognizing the Christmas Day holiday on Monday. So by Tuesday in the 24-hour news cycle, this is way past old news. And it's bizarre considering the way that the, the entire... Ridley story, Calvin Ridley's story, was handled whenever it was known that he had bet on football. This is apparently not about football betting, but Miles Austin has been suspended by the league.
2: It's stupid. It's just dumb. I, this shouldn't be a policy to begin with. It, betting on the NFL, yes. Okay, even maybe betting on college football, because that's your farm system to your league, I'd understand that, but who cares if he bets on other sports? Yeah, the NFL on a it, mobile is, app. it
1: is the personnel policy for NFL employees that they cannot bet on anything. Nothing. And it's it's really strange and it's it's so dumb, Chad, to your point, because in the same stadiums where the personnel that are employed are not allowed to speak the word gambling, you've got Odds and everything else in between, and money being spent by the companies that uh, are paying the NFL plenty. Chad, you've got a toast right here in the final I do, yes. 20 hey, seconds.
2: Merry Christmas to everyone. Huge thanks to everyone that makes this show work. Yes. That is everyone behind the scenes that you don't always see on the show. Thank you to you all, and thanks to you for watching and listening. Merry Christmas. Cheers. Merry
0: Christmas.